welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. this Christmas Eve homily, I want to just reflect a little bit about St. John's poetic prose, where he writes and brings this narrative together by starting with drawing from grand metaphysical and cosmic type language. In the beginning was the Word, the Lagos. Using language that right from the beginning of his gospel account points back to the creation of the entire universe. The formation of space-time as we know it. Time when there was no time where God existed before existence existed. In which then God speaks forth a word. Let there be light. And from the word of God, light broke forth, creating all that we know see and experience is beautiful and good. I don't know if you've heard this before, have you thought about the significance of the fact that St. John then jumps into a particular story about a particular place in a particular moment, John the Baptist. He's going from a grand cosmic scale and bringing it down to an obscure moment in an obscure place tucked away in a people that most of the world didn't even know existed at that time. He's equating the creation and the formation of the universe the Big Bang through which even the physics that form and hold together what we know and can perceive came about. He's equating that to the birth of Jesus. It's a pretty audacious claim. He's saying that a birth of a baby in a manger in Palestine 2,000 years ago was as significant of an event as the Big Bang that happened how many billions of years ago? I, I know they calculated it. I don't have it memorized. <laughs> That's wild. And in doing that, he draws from this imagery that is kind of at at the core of our existence, this imagery that is also found weaved throughout Scripture, 
the biblical imagery of light and dark. We see the depiction of creation as light breaking forth into the darkness. In the story of Exodus, when God delivers his people from the bondage of slavery, his presence and guidance in their deliverance is depicted as a pillar of light, of fire in the desert. God is often depicted and described as pure, indescribable light. Absolute and pure light. And it's interesting that if you follow the biblical narrative to its completion at the very end of Revelation, it makes a statement about the new heavens and the new earth. And it says that the city and the earth will have no need for sun or moon, for God will be its light. And I think that that language is not because God is somewhat adverse to the massive fusion reactors that he created and called good in Genesis. It's because his presence and glory will not be hindered. And so his light will overwhelm all other light within his creation. And we see through the story, then Darkness, which is always depicted as what is an opposition or rebelling against, or is separated and hiding itself from God, the source of light. But it's important to note because we use this language in our culture today, even as a post-Christian society, we, we often talk about darkness and light. Our movies have these battles constantly, but... In Scripture, the battle between the darkness and light is not some equal battle. It's not some opposition. It's not this war between good and evil or a yin and a yang balancing each other. It's not like going into your basement and taking a humidifier and a dehumidifier, turning them both on and see who wins. You know what I mean? As they're going and battling it out. Because it's not really a battle because darkness has no power over light. Scripture uses this imagery because God has ingrained within the physics of his creation this reality where darkness is the absence of light, but darkness cannot overpower light. Light always dispels darkness. You you can't go into a place where the dark is so dark that then all of a sudden your flashlight doesn't work. It's like, ah, I went too deep into the cave because this dark is really dark, dark. No, it doesn't matter how dark it is. Light will always dispel the dark. So we have this biblical imagery that is being used and is being utilized by St. John at the beginning of his gospel of this reality that is ingrained within the physics of God's creation. That it is not a battle that is going on, but instead a reality of darkness because of rebellion and turning against the source of true light, yet that light has still broken in. 
not to hope to win, but instead breaking in and the darkness will be dispelled. He's claiming that the true light has not retreated from the darkness, though the darkness is dark because it has retreated from the light. Light did not call us to blindly stumble through these dark corners that we have created trying to get and find the light. But instead, the true light, the light that was rejected, which is why we have darkness, that light has come into the world. Like the Big Bang, in which the basic elements of existed burst forth into a void of nothingness. That's what we celebrate in this feast day. The feast of the nativity. A little baby in a manger. But so much more. And I think it's important for us to remember why this feast is such an important feast. Why Christmas is, you know, we have the stereotype, oh, I hate the commercialism of Christmas. And, you know, you have like the Charlie Brown thing going on. But it's even more than that, because even whenever it's like, oh, it's about Christ, but do we get the significance of this feast day? I think one of the things that is so important to us right now is that it is a feast day that deeply acknowledges the darkness. And there's many theories on why Christmas is celebrated at this time of the year. And, and there, there's a common view and there's other scholarship that shows other different ways. Whatever it is, I, I do think it is profound that we celebrate Christmas during the winter solstice. We celebrate light coming into the world during the darkest part of the year. It doesn't get any darker than this in the Northern Hemisphere. And we see in John's account, it's not all light and joy to the world. But darkness and light breaking in, but even when it breaks in, the darkness still rejects it. It's a feast that does not have a Pollyannish ignorance of the darkness and the evil within our world. There's no minimizing of the depravity and injustice that we face. It's not utilizing carols and wishful thinking so that we can numb ourselves and distract ourselves for a moment from the broken reality that we know exists. No, it's a claim that there is darkness and it is very dark, but the light has still broken it. And in that acknowledges that when it does break in, no matter how dark it is, the darkness will dispense. And so it's a feast day that we feast in spite of the darkness.
It's a feast day that recognizes that in the darkness that we are not without hope. While Christmas recognizes the darkness, it also emphasizes the light that brings hope. Even whenever it would appear that all hope is lost, that somehow the physics got messed up and the darkness has overcome the light, light has broken in. It's an important feast day because it's in this feast day that we are redirecting our gaze back to the true light that is the light of all men. Reorienting our gaze and our focus back onto the true source of hope. That in the midst of the darkness that is all around us, in the constant news, happening maybe in our families or in our homes, or maybe not, but in the midst of all of that, it is like a light breaking forth into our calendar so that then in that our gaze is redirected and we see the path that we are to be walking down. It reminds me of whenever I was 16 years old and uh, had just got a driver's license and decided with a few of my friends that we we're going to go up to these cliffs. I grew up at the base of the Laurel Highlands, and we were going to go hiking, and, and we were going to climb these cliffs. And we didn't know exactly where the cliffs were, but we were pretty psyched. And like 16 and 17-year-olds, we weren't super planned or prepared. So we drove up into the mountain and then went down the wrong trail, kept hiking, trying to find the cliffs. We finally saw the cliffs in the distance. We find the cliffs, but it had been a long time, but we had gone a long distance, so we were going to climb these cliffs. And so we found a way to work our way up the cliffs, and in the midst of that, it started to get dark. And if you know anything about in the mountains, is if you are on a northern face or eastern face of a mountain, it gets dark a lot quicker than everywhere else in the woods. And so we started trying to get our way back, and it got dark out. And when it gets dark out, every opening between trees looks like a trail. And so we start following it. And, and in that area, the, the Laurel Highlands hiking trails up there, you can hike for four days and only meet roads a couple of times. And as 16 and 17-year-olds, we were all trying to be tough and all acting as if we were survivalists and knew exactly what we were doing. And none of us had any clue. And I remember we you know, would find a rock and be like, all right, this is where we're going to set up camp. And then we're just, and we were at a point, it was, it was late at night, and I was like, well, we're going to set up camp here. I'm just going to walk a little bit further. And I was walking, and then I saw a light streak across, way off in the distance, And it was a headlight. And so we went right up that direction and found a dirt road and eventually found our way back to the truck. But I think in some ways that's what this feast is to be like. Sometimes we're caught in the midst of the darkness and in that we can lose track of where we're heading. But it's that even the most dimmest, littlest glimpse of light in the midst of darkness that catches our attention and reminds us of the direction that we should be heading. And it's a feast that recognizes 
that our hope is tied to something outside of ourselves. The light did not come into the darkness because the darkness warranted it. The darkness rejected the light as the light came in. The light came in in spite of the darkness. I love C.S. Lewis when he talks about the incarnation. He uses an analogy of like someone diving into a very deep, dark, frigid lake deep and going the whole way down to the bottom to bring back to the top a treasure. He entered fully and completely into our reality to rescue his treasure. But we're not treasure because we're pure. In reality, we have embraced the darkness each in our own way in which we dwell. But we are a treasure because the one who made us treasures us. And it's a feast that recognizes that in coming after us, the light that is the light of all men took on our darkness, even though we rejected the life, light. He engulfed himself in the darkness so that the light might break forth and destroy the power of darkness over us in our world. See, Christmas cannot be separated from Good Friday. And for a moment, the light became dark and then burst forth on Easter Sunday and destroyed the darkness. And finally... It was a feast that was required by the church for much of her existence. Now, I know in, the mo- in our modern day, and as Protestants, definitely don't like the idea of the church requiring a feast. But it was a mandated feast day. Kind of reminds me of the Old Testament feasts, many of them. They were mandated and required. It was like God was saying to the people, you will eat a lot, you will drink a lot, you will sing and you will party, and you will not disobey me. And he actually says that. I mean, there's punishments if you don't party on certain feast days. But what was significant about that is that requirement did not have a contingency on if the harvest was bad that year. If there was a drought. Now you still feasted because those feast days were tied to the redemptive work of God. Christmas is a required and enforced feast day because it is a feast that is not in response to how bright and good the year has been. It's a feast in response to the hope that is ours in spite of how dark things might be. We do not feast because we have done well, though by God's grace, hopefully some of us have. We do not feast because we have been blessed with excess to feast with, though some of us might have that. We do not feast because we have health or security or prosperity. Though I hope 
All of us do have some of that. We feast in obstinate rebellion against the darkness that is intertwined within our lives and rears its ugly face continually in our world. The Christmas feast is a stubborn response of joy and gratitude in the face of the darkness around us. Right now, we have brothers and sisters, some that I went and studied in seminary with, that are facing horrible persecution and threats of death because of their faith. And yet today, with whatever they have, they're going to feast. Right now, we have brothers and sisters in the Ukraine who are having, holding candlelight services, not because it's beautiful like us, but because missiles have taken out their electric grid. But with whatever they can, they're going to feast. We have brothers and sisters who are in areas of poverty that with whatever they can gather together, even though things look bleak, they, they're going to feast. Right now, there are many in our community, maybe some of us, who are facing great darkness and might feel as if there is no reason to feast. And yet we're commanded to feast because the light has broken into the darkness and darkness can never overcome light, no matter how dark the darkness might be. So, my brothers and sisters, St. John says, the light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This does not mean that the darkness is not fighting like hell to hold on and hide from the light that has broken in. But tonight we celebrate and tomorrow we feast because unto us a child has been given, a savior, the very son of God, the eternal word through which all has been made, the man through which all will be remade. So regardless of how the darkness might be rearing its ugly head around you, we will feast. We will feast in stubborn rebellion against the dictates of our world's circumstances. We will feast because God has come to rescue us and will be faithful to complete all he has promised to do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons, and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart, and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone from the first to the last
and 